This is PhotoBizX, episode number 418, and today, something different again for you on the podcast. I have an interview with adventure photographer Angela Percival, but she has taken a totally different path to becoming a successful photographer. That interview's coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast track your success. Welcome to the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here from Impact Images and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Today, I am coming to you from the small country town of Gunnada in western New South Wales. I'm here an extra day after a weekend of bike racing. We had two fantastic point-to-point races. One was 100 kilometres, the other one was 110 kilometres. Had a great result yesterday with a fourth, just pipped on the line for third. And after coming back to collect our cars, we thought, well, a few of us thought, it's too late to drive home, let's spend an extra night here, which led to <laughs> only one thing, heading to the pub for dinner, a few beers, relocating to another pub for a couple more drinks, and I have you to thank for this. I was able to use you, the listener, as an excuse to extricate myself from Terry, Jennifer and James, who look like they were keen to push on and keep drinking well into the night. So I got out of there at a reasonable hour, knowing that I had to record this intro and outro to get today's episode out to you. And as it is, I'm here in my hotel room. The cleaners are letting it be known. It's time for me to get on out of here. So I'm going to have a short intro today, and we'll get stuck into this interview with Angela in just a second. Now, one quick thing, if you are hearing this announcement, it does mean you are listening to the free version of the podcast. And what that means is you won't hear the full story from Angela today. I am going to save the second half of this interview for premium members only. So if you are loving what Angela shares in the first half of this interview, and I know you will, you can get access to the full interview for as little as $1 with a 30-day trial membership, which you can access over at photobizx.com forward slash try. Oh, and one last thing, if you didn't catch last week's episode with Tana Basile, the feedback has been absolutely fantastic. There's been requests for more interviews like that one, so don't miss out if you haven't heard that interview. You will need a notepad and pen handy because there were a ton of takeaways. It's one interview where listeners have kept coming back and saying the same thing. I need to go back and listen to this one again and again. There were so many takeaways. And the reason being, Tana has put so many systems into her business, which makes it run seamlessly from generating inquiries, booking clients, going on to do a photo session, and then making terrific sales. Like she is an absolute machine, and you will get a ton from her if you haven't heard that one. Welcome to another great time for business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Today's guest is an extreme sports photographer who travels off the grid to incredible places photographing other humans doing crazy things. Now, following year 12 at school and at 17 years of age, she left her home in Australia for Whistler in Canada on a working holiday and she never came back to Australia. She's a self-taught photographer working in a male-dominated niche and looks from the outside to be doing incredibly well. Amazingly, she was named one of the top nine photographers you should know about by National Geographic. And today, she is the senior photographer for the outdoor design and clothing company Arcteryx and has been, I believe, for the last 17 years. I'm talking about Angela Percival and I'm wrapped 
to have her with us now. Angela, welcome. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. (laughs) So you left home in Australia and never came back. (laughs) How is life in Canada? (laughs) Yeah, life in Canada is really great. The mountains is what kept me here, but I come home often and visit because I love it. Love being in Australia. Okay, so it wasn't that you didn't meet the love of your life, it was the work and the mountains and photography or purely the mountains? You know, for me, it was actually the adventure part. It was being having the mountains right outside my back door and being able to just go mountain biking or hiking or climbing or skiing anytime I wanted. That was really the draw that that kind of kept me here in Canada. Right. So when you got there, I mean, a working holiday, did you go and work in a ski store? Is that the sort of way you started? (laughs) Yes, I did. I went to Whistler (laughs) and then kind of got stuck there. But back then, it actually wasn't really as popular as it is today to do that. So it was a little bit, I was a bit different from, you know, leaving high school and heading over there. But yes, I did. Got stuck in a ski town. (laughs) And so once you're there, you obviously fall in love with Whistler and, you know, you've got a job there, you're starting to build a life there. When does photography sort of make an appearance in your life? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the love of the adventure and the outdoors came first. And then it was just natural for me to want to take photographs of that. I didn't go to school for photography. I went to school for graphic design. I went to an art school in Vancouver. At the same time, I was working for a snowmobile adventure company. So I had these two kind of parts of me, like the art side and then the adventure side. And and over time, they just kind of formed into one big creative journey. So you're doing graphic design. Was the plan to study that and become a designer or did photography sort of step in and take over? I became a graphic designer first and then I got a job at Arcteryx. It's a company I still work for today as a graphic designer. And then from there, I ended up moving into, uh, I created a film program because I just didn't want to be behind the desk anymore. And then from there, I went into photography because we didn't really have enough work at that time to be a full-time photographer. So it was a really natural transition of really following what I wanted to do and following the creative journey to be, I wanted to be creating the images opposed to working with the images that had already been created. Got it. Okay. So was I correct? Was that 17 years ago when you started there? Yeah. Going on 17 years. Oh gosh, that sounds so many when I say it like that. It's been an incredible journey. (laughs) It sounds like it. So you're a graphic designer at Arcteryx and did you say you created a film? Yeah, I created. So we weren't doing video back then. And so product videos weren't a thing like film as part of a marketing brand strategy. It just wasn't part of what we did. And so I actually pitched my boss who was the creative director and said, Hey, how about we try this film thing? And so I taught myself video and I actually pitched one of our athletes to help me because he knew how to edit. And so I was like, I kind of think I can figure it out. And so I did that first, but then we needed still to do photos. So in some shoots, I'd actually do photo and video. And that just got too much as anyone that's ever done that knows. So I just went purely, just stayed purely with the photography, the still photography. Okay. So you've got this job, you're a graphic designer, you've created the film, but you want to move into photography. Surely they don't just say, Angela, you know, here's the company budget, go and buy yourself a camera and start shooting for us. You must have learned photography along the way. I did. I had a partner. He was a graphic designer as well. And he shot it like he started the photo program at Arcteryx and we'd go on shoots together. And so 
I would shoot photo and he would shoot film or we would switch and a kind of self-taught partially on the job, but also wanting to, you know, I'd have thoughts, oh, what about we do this kind of shoot? And then we would go out and experiment. And it was a small company at that point. So there was a lot of opportunity to experiment, but I would say like the transition for me was when I decided, you know what, I think we should shoot women skiing. And then I had some friends that were going to Europe and they invited me to go with them. And I actually, self, this is where I kind of put my courage behind me. And I paid for the trip myself. And I said to my boss, if it works out, you can just pay me back. (laughs) So it was a little bit, you know, find your own journey, but that's how it started. Wow. Okay. I want to dive into that in just a second, but you know, what I hear from so many photographers is they discover photography that, you know, they might be doing graphic design and they fall in love with the photography and they decide to become a wedding or portrait photographer. Did you explore that at all? Or was there always an opportunity at Arcteryx to pursue photography? I've explored on both sides. For me, it's always, it's not being driven by money. It's being driven by wanting to learn and wanting to learn another piece of photography and I hit a point where we were shooting action sports. We weren't really in the lifestyle space at that point. We weren't really even shooting people. It was kind of action and landscapes. And I really wanted to learn how to shoot a story in a day. So I actually did weddings for a couple of years purely to kind of polish that skill. Because I think for me at the time, there was no better way to learn how to shoot a story in a day than to be in the pressure of a wedding. And I started off small. I shot some friends' weddings and then I had a little business called Little Blue Box Photography. I did that for four years in the summertime, which was kind of my off season for the outdoor action for winter and the fall season. So it was actually, it was a really good pairing. And I think it made me a better photographer overall, but I could take what I was learning in the wedding side and apply that back to product and what we were doing as a creative marketing team. Okay. So the weddings was never going to be the the one thing that you pursued that was going to take over your life as a photographer. It wasn't. It was actually a really, it was a decision I made when I started. And I would strongly encourage this for anyone at the beginning is like, just shoot a lot. And then you kind of figure out what you like to shoot most. But I actually had to make a really strategic decision because I, there was wedding photography world was really blooming here, kind of more in the outdoor and farm weddings, which is an area where I live. And I was like, oh man, I could totally go into this world. It was great. I learned so much. The business side was really exciting, but I just had to, I felt like I didn't want to do two things half. I really wanted to commit to one. So that's when I, once I'd kind of done a couple of years and I learned a lot really quickly, self-directed, then I turned and said, okay, I really need to just focus on the action and adventure sports. Like that's where I want to learn more. Right. So as a graphic designer at Arcteryx there, you're dealing with photography every single day, I guess. I mean, are you creating ads and that kind of thing? I was, yeah. I was creating ads. I was creating all the catalogs. I was creating all the trade show materials, like everything for the brand. I mean, I have to put it into context. It was pretty small back then. Like there was only seven of us in marketing at the time. I think there's probably 85 plus people today. So we were very small. So we were kind of doing a little bit of everything. But yeah, I was creating logos for events. I was a dealer, like a workbook that people look through to buy at trade shows. So I was doing everything, but I think it made me a better photographer today because I kind of appreciated how in the advertising world, you have to lay things, you know, shoot to a certain 
um, to give space for text or layouts. You know, I just have a really great empathy for the designers I work with today. And I think that kind of leads to the success of shoots. Yeah, no, I totally get that. So whose photography are you working with as a designer back then before you were shooting? Um, my heroes. <laughs> so it was uh, the lead, the top three kind of, I would say, men, well, there wasn't only men at that time in the ski industry specifically. One man called Paul Morrison, who's known as the king of light in the ski world. And I was mostly working with his photography and then a couple of other people that would submit images. And then the other graphic designer who also took photos. So we were getting images from multiple sources. So then, so were these guys, you know, were they represented by agents or were they sending files directly to you in the hope of, you know, you using them to publish them and use them for advertising? How did that work? They were sending files directly. Yeah, they would send like selections for a season. Um, but at that point, we also were, Terex is really well known for its studio photography. So we were sh- pairing action or landscape shots with the studio images but we were getting images submitted. Right. Okay. So these guys would send them in on spec, mm-hmm. hoping that you'd use them and then you would pay the photographer for the images that you use. Correct. They wouldn't be commissioned to do these shoots unless it was a studio shoot. Yeah, correct. Even today we don't do, uh, actually we've just started doing more commission and contract shoots just because there's so much to do, but I've been the sole internal photographer for the last eight, 10 years now. Wow. Okay, so let me again revisit that ski trip that you pitched to your boss that he can pay you back (laughs) if it works out. So I'm guessing that, you know, for him or for you to have any chance of getting paid for that trip, those women that you went away with, your friends, they would have to be wearing or using Arcteryx gear. Otherwise, you have no hope of getting published. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. One of them actually was an Arcteryx athlete and one of them wasn't. One of them was a different company. But yeah, look, if I look back on it now, we both kind of took a risk on each other. And, you know, them they were going over for a contest called the Freeride World Tour and into a place called Chamonix in France and then another place called La Grave in France, both quite extreme areas. And I had no idea what I was getting into, but I'm always up for <laughs> signing up for a good old challenge. <laughs> So I said, yeah, I'll I'll do it. And we'd never shot in Europe before. We'd actually never shot outside of Canada at that point. And I really believed I could bring something back that was different and would kind of change our visuals for the good. Wow. I I mean, I know of Chamonix and I've actually, I've sat and had lunch at the bottom of Le Grave. So I know it well. (laughs) I do a lot of cycling in France. So it's an amazing, incredible area and super dangerous. Very dangerous. (laughs) So you get back, you've got a collection of images. So 17 years ago, you're shooting all digital by now, aren't you? Everything's digital. Correct. Yeah. Right. Correct. So you have a a series of images, you show your boss, Mm -hmm. what happens? So back then, yeah, I'd come back and I would send the images just, I think, in a link from memory. And I'd say, these are the ones I had in mind to go here. And these are the ones I had in mind to go here. Maybe we can use this for this campaign. Like I'm very much involved in the creative process, which I've always really loved so much. Like I can be there in the pre-production coming up with the concept and ideas, which I love equally as much as I love the shooting. And in that case, the good story out of that one, one of the pictures from that shoot is now a 50 foot by 60 foot canvas print on the wall at our Terex headquarters in Vancouver. Wow. So, wow. yeah, I, I feel honored that he ended up printing that one because he definitely took a gamble on me for letting me. <laughs> that is amazing. So fun, the first Arcteryx shoot overseas. <laughs> Did you get reimbursed for the trip? 
I did. I did. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> but that was a good incentive, actually, like to put my money on the line. And I actually think like doing projects, people don't love to do things on spec, but I found it a really good self development challenge. I'm like, this is what I want to shoot. This is how I'm going to shoot it. Like I planned it all out. And then I stood behind what I believed in. And I think that that actually is, it served me well for the next one, which was to Nepal. And then the ones after that, and it developed a really good trust, but I think it, it puts you out of your comfort zone, which makes you, I think, work harder and create, be a better creative. So I think it's, I, I really like doing it. I still do it to this day, actually. Not not self-funded right. trips, just to be clear. <laughs> not self-funded trips. I do self-funded trips, but not for Arcteryx. I don't use my personal bank account to fund Arcteryx advertising trips. <laughs> got it, got it. Okay. So was that the only self-funded trip you did for Arcteryx, you know, within your job role? Uh, sorry, that one, the one to Chamonix? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you come back and your boss likes the images, loves the images, even prints this massive print you know, for the headquarters or the offices, does he then see you as a photographer or are you back in the graphic design cubicle, you know, behind the computer? At that point, it was a bit of a crossover. He said, you can keep shooting and you can do the film work just as long as you get these projects completed. And then we ended up hiring another graphic designer and and multiple since then. So it was kind of like, if you, he was really, really good at being like, okay, I'll let you go and kind of freelance a little bit on the side here as long as you get your job done. And that for me is the greatest incentive. If I'd be given a little bit of a rein, like a, a, a loose, <laughs> like there's a great book called Orbiting the Giant Hairball and it makes me think of that. Like I'm given a little bit of freedom to go and do what I want and experiment and create as long as I kind of do the main things that need to keep moving us forward. God, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I think of, you know, I, I think whether I was internal of a company or outside, that's just how I love to work. Like I love to test the limits and still, you still got to do what your job is. But I think for me, it's like, it's been my learning journey as well as my creative journey. You know, they're kind of, they're very blended together, which I feel really grateful for. Yeah. I mean, what a position to be in. I love it. So then, okay. So you said the word freelance there. Does that mean that you are creating work that you're also submitting to other publications or is everything you're creating purely for the company you work for? It's purely for the company I work for. Sorry, I was saying freelance more as in I can freestyle and go on my own, but purely the company I work for. I do, like if magazines have stories on our athletes, I'll submit them to the magazines, but it's actually just more out of, of time. I don't have as much time to submit to other places. That said, I've taken other clients on over the years, if I had a time in the schedule and I could do it, if it was shoot on the weekend, or if like people from Arcteryx have gone and worked other places, they wanted me to do a shoot. So I have been able to do other photography on the side, but Arcteryx has, has been, you know, majority of my creative focus and creative energy has gone into what I do for work. So what happens today, Angela? Are you still pitching ideas, locations, even specific photos to the design department or to your boss or does the design decide or does it, you know, what the magazine needs or the catalogue need decide where you're going and when you're going and who are you photographing? It's a bit of both now. So we've, I would say in the last year and a half, we've gone from being like a little company to quite a large company. And so I've still pitched a lot. Like I've still 
I have a bit of a, of like one of my favorite things is locations. And so like knowing the world and world pieces fit in it. So I think I'll always do that. So I still pitch ideas more because I, I actually really enjoy doing it, not because I have to necessarily. So I might get a product and then I'm part of the team and they'll say, where do you think we should shoot this? And I'll say, oh, you know what? I think this is, this spot has amazing. I'll give you an example. If it helps, like last summer, we were doing a launch for a like warm weather hiking outfit and we couldn't leave Canada. And there's a place just north of where I live here in Squamish in British Columbia, that's really known for its colorful rock. And I spend a lot of like time mountain biking up there. And so I pitched, I was like, you know, we can't, I know we can't go to the desert in Utah right now, but maybe we can make it look hot and warm and use the color of the landscape to bring that to life. So I, you know, that's partly the creative process of coming up with somewhere and just knowing where that product would work best and, and show it in its like true form. So I think, yeah, to, sorry to answer your question, I still am a big part in like locations and then I'm still pitch like places to go and do shoots or where we don't have a campaign. And I'll just say, I think I want to go and do a shoot here. And this is what I'm going to come back with. Can we use it somewhere? So I have quite a bit of flexibility. Right. So you can pick somewhere exotic that you haven't been to that you really want to go and visit, pitch an idea and go and create images on spec that the company can hopefully use. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty awesome. I feel guilty saying that, but yes. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. But I've worked pretty hard to be at that point to do that. Like, you know, they've been very, very trusting and, and I've also, yeah, I work hard to come back with the right thing. And I think I just know internally so much, like, I think it's, um, I would say like, just to take it out of the in-house photography world for a second and take it into, I think it's really important to know what your client or the people that you're producing work for, like how you can help them. And that's kind of the approach that I always take is like, okay, how can I help you sell that product the best? And as opposed to, I want to go here and do this super fancy shoot with helicopters and everything. It's like, I don't come at it from that side. I come from, okay, we have these athletes and we want to showcase them. How can I help do that? And then I'll come with a solution that will really make it easy for someone to say yes. So I feel like that can work both sides if you're in-house or if you're outside. If you can solve someone's like problem or find a solution for them, then kind of give them an option to not not be able to say no. Yeah, because you've taken all the hard work out of it and yeah. you have yeah. the solution later. But you must still have to be able to, particularly in the early days, back your ability there because if you're taking athletes away from their training or whatever they need to be doing to a different place, you've got helicopters, you've got staff, you've got, I imagine, lighting. I can ask you about this in a second. Mm-hmm. Airfares, accommodation. I mean, that's a lot of expense to get these images. You must have been backing your abilities there. Were you stressed at times? Um, no, never. I think the stress for me comes from the weather. It doesn't come from production or budget or time really. So maybe that's because maybe the weather eclipses all those other things. Um, the stress really comes from like not having the right weather for what you're doing or, you know, when you're in really dangerous situations, there's other stress elements rather than budget. Like if we yeah, not to get too deep into those many different buckets, but from a high level production has actually been something, another piece of the puzzle that I really love. And for many years, I was my own producer. So I had to find, and we had really small budgets. Like I was doing 
a lot of things on a, you know, sleeping in the back of trucks and cliff bars type budget. So <laughs> I've been able to, one of the greatest skills I actually think I've developed from doing this job is being super efficient with what I have and making the most of what I have. I like the most of the location or the people or the situation, like best bang for buck. So we don't go and it's just not in my nature to go and spend a ton of money and have big crews. Like we run pretty lean. We carry our own stuff. We carry our own food. So I actually think that's a really valuable skill for anyone working in photography is just to be able to do a lot with very little and be efficient. Because I think that's you can, you can, it's harder to go start with lots of money and work back. It's much easier to start with a little and then start to add on layers of budget. But I would say like when I was first doing it, we were working with very small, like we've always run really lean. And I think that takes a lot of the stress out of the situation for me anyway, not to have massive crews with, um, I couldn't really have a lot of big crews in those locations anyway, but does that answer your question? Sorry, I went a bit. It does. Yeah. I love production. <laughs> <laughs> Let's use an example. So, you know, you talked about that shoot that was uh, near your place because you couldn't go to Utah because of the, the colorful rocks. We're going to. Yeah. Okay. So shoot like that. What were you photographing? Clothing? Yes. Yes. The shorts, T-shirts, sweaters, packs. Okay. So you've got this idea to go to this location. You pitch it to your boss. Do you have to come up with them with budgets, timing? Like what sort of detail do you need to submit to get this across the line to go ahead? Yeah, so that one was a little bit logistically tricky. So it was in a spot where you couldn't hike to. We had to fly in, put out by float plane. <laughs> it sounds crazy when I talk about it out loud. And because we couldn't, because we did have a limited time on that one, we had to bike around because the distances were so large and I had models. So I had two people that weren't mountain bikers that I had to put on bikes in this situation. So I just made sure I had a safety person. I had my plan really dialed. I had like where we were going to go, how we were going to make it work out. Usually we would take a lot of stuff camping, but we were lucky that it was horse camps out there. And then the budget on that one, like the biggest part is transport outside of the models, like the talent. So, but I, I'd been back there. Like I don't usually go to locations that I haven't actually, that's not true. Cause we went to Greenland. I've never been there. Um, so this location I knew pretty well. So I knew, you know, the hazards, the biggest stress on that one actually was that there happened to be a grizzly attack five days before we were going out there in the same area we were going in on two bikers. So that was actually any kind of budget stress. I don't have any after that. Kind of thing. <laughs> and then just the weather is like, cause if we didn't get the right weather, we couldn't fly in there. So I do carry the response. I have a producer who helps me on that, but we just, we just work as a team. And she doesn't come out on the shoots. She just helps me get all the pieces in place. And then once I literally, once we fly into a location, the production is on me. And then I actually kind of share the responsibility on that one with our stylist who I took with us as well, who's an outdoor person. So I'm comfortable with her in the backcountry. So on that shoot, you've got you, your stylist, you've got two models. Yeah. I guess you've got the pilot who's just going to fly in and fly out. Is there anyone else? Do you have a guide there with a gun to look out for grizzlies? <laughs> No, I kind of wish we did have a filmer. So someone I've worked with a lot. So I knew his outdoor skills were pretty solid and we did have a guide, but more from a mountain bike perspective, because I didn't want to be responsible for everybody's bike troubles. 
I just was like, I need to focus on the production and making sure we're all safe. And he is paramedic trained, the guide for that one. So he actually works in the Whistler Blackcomb Bike Park. So I was pretty comfortable, like, okay, you'd handle the gut. Like we couldn't take a gun in that area anyway, because it's a national park. But we just, you know, I made sure we all had bear spray in our bike, like where your bottle goes. They make canisters where you can put them. Yeah. We're getting into the details, but yeah. yeah. I just I just kind of try and eliminate as much risk as I can. Got it. Okay, so there's six of you out there. How many are you out there for two days, three days? Uh, four days we're out there for, yeah. Okay. So what's the budget for something like that? Are we talking forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000? Oh, that's a good question in the final. Yeah, no, I want to say it's a lot less than that, actually. I want to say it would even maybe be 20, 25 or maybe 20,000. Okay. It could even be under 20,000 to be honest, because the biggest cost is really the flight and we could have done it more affordably too, if we had have driven up half the way, because it's a quite a far spot. So there's other ways I could have made it more efficient. Okay. So let's say 20,000, a nice round figure. So you go in there, you, I mean, you know that the budgets for, you've got that $20,000 for the cost of this shoot, you have to come back with the images and the video, which you're confident in doing, which is great. So what does the company, your boss or someone somewhere has to say, okay, we need more than or better than a 20K return on this investment. How do they, how do they budget that? How do they work that out? <laughs> That's a good, it, I think it comes down to where, so this particular one, like we have different tiers of product campaigns. And this one was at the top. So that's like, it's actually, that's a very small amount for a product A campaign. Um, And so the distribution on that campaign is huge. So 20K is a pretty little spend on a global campaign that's going to go to every brand store that we have, every partner, B2B partner, all through REI in the States. Like, yeah, so they can justify it by how many channels it goes out into the world in Okay, this might be a totally naive question or statement. Yeah. But so from that, you're photographing T-shirts and shorts. <laughs> yeah. So from that session, from that four-day trip, that $20,000 trip, there's going to be more than $20,000 worth of shorts and T-shirts sold. It has to be. Yes. Right. That's awesome. That's amazing. Oh, that blows me away. Yes. <laughs> but that's really, they have to measure this in sales somewhere down the line. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, especially in t-shirts and shorts and it was packs and shoes were in there too, but for t-shirts, it's just more globally relevant than say a ski jacket. Right. The market for a ski jacket is a lot smaller than something that can be worn in California all year round or in parts of like Southern Europe, for example. Okay. So that's why then a t-shirt shorts campaign might be like on the A-list level, whereas a ski parker, would that be further down the line? No, it'd still be, it would still be pretty high up there, but those ones cost a lot more money just because ski is a lot more expensive to shoot just because it's harder to get to the places where we shoot unless you go purely by foot. Right. Okay. So this is where my confusion like really starts to dive in because, <laughs> or show up because so t-shirt, let's say sells for 20 or $30 roughly. Yeah. A ski jacket sells for three to 500 uh, in Arterix's case, it's eight to nine. Okay. So let's say a thousand dollars then for a ski jacket. Yeah. So you obviously have to sell less ski jackets, but then the cost of the session, the shoots to photograph them are hugely more expensive. I imagine. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not huge. Hu- it just, it depends on what it is. 
So a ski touring shoot might be a little bit more affordable and it depends on the ask of the, like where the product's going to get marketed to. But I would say on a dollar side, I'm actually not probably the best person to speak to that because I'm not, I'm on the front end more than the back end. But I would say the, like, it's also too in the moment of the calendar. So a hiking product launch will run for quite a bit longer than a ski snowboard campaign. So we would shoot assets for a ski snowboard campaign that is maybe going to be in market for four weeks at the beginning of the season. And then it turns over to something else that happens during the winter time. So usually the spend is based on how long that campaign might be in market. Got it. Got it. Okay. Sorry. It's very complex. <laughs> no, it is. And that's why I'm trying to understand. So it's not, you're not just showing up to photograph a bunch of products and then walking away. I mean, there's so much behind each of these shoots that you're doing. Yeah, there definitely is. And so many places it goes, like so many different channels and different regions. Right. Yeah. So this isn't just a local small Canadian company. These images are going to get circulated worldwide. Exactly. Yes. Premium members of PhotoBiz Exposed hear more of the best photography business strategies from every guest. I've got two more things I want to ask you, but before we get to those, where's the best place for the listener to see your work? I would say I'm in the process of doing a new website, so that should be up in the next month. So AngelaPercival.com and then Instagram is my channel of choice and I'm getting better at it. I love it so much, but I just get so focused in the work and, you know, and what I'm doing that I actually forget about it a bit. So yeah, I'm going to become better at it. I'll link to both those in the show notes, but you actually brought up one of the things I wanted to ask you to finish off with. Why do you have a separate website when you're a company employee? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't need to really have one, but I really love having a website just almost as just a collection of the things I've shot over the years because our campaigns move through the world so quickly. And I have so many images that I can't even keep up with them because we're producing at such a rapid rate that the website for me is really, um, it's been almost, yeah, just like a portfolio of work. But in the future, what we're working on right now is more of an inspiration hub. So it will hold, um, I have a blog right now on there, but the blog is going to hold more of like the location information and behind the scenes photos and things that I love to share. Like I really love going on these amazing, to these amazing places and then coming back and, you know, just sharing with people. Cause I want to take everyone. If I could take everyone with me, I would, because <laughs> I just, I'm so passionate about the places we go and, and these amazing adventures that are out there for anybody to have. So that's the main reason that I have a website and that I really want to make it more of a community kind of inspiration hub in the future. Love it. I'm scrolling down through your Instagram as uh, I'm listening to you and you are living an incredible life. Look at the places you've been. It must blow you away just even scrolling through this yourself. (laughs) I like it. To finish off, let me ask you, where is the next place that you're pitching, the one that you're most excited to get to next? This is my favorite question, Andrew. You know, oh, I, this year it's a bit tough. So I've got a lot that are on the back burner. Um, the next one I really want to go to, and this I've actually been there before, but is Greenland. I did a whole season. I shot a whole season on a trip there in 2016. And there's just something about that place that really touched me. I don't know if it was, it's just being so rugged, but there's so much to explore there. And it is 
tricky to get to, but I would say, and I'd this is, I want to take the world with me on this one too, because it's tricky, but it's not inaccessible to people to get there. And it's like no other place on earth. Wow. Sounds amazing. Angela, it's been such a fun hour chatting with you. Me too. I can't wait to see more of your work in the future. And you know, for me and the listener, we wish you every success. Stay safe out there and Thank you. good luck with the rest of it. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Angela as much as I did. Angela, if you're listening, again, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your story, your approach to becoming the super successful photographer that you are. I learned a ton. I hope the listener did too. And again, massive thanks for coming on, sharing everything you did, and can't wait to hear the feedback from listeners. For you, the listener, I do hope you got a ton from what Angela shared. I know that her approach, her story may not be super relevant to the way you're approaching your photography business, but I thought it was so good to hear a different way to approach photography as a lifetime pursuit to be able to make a living from what you love doing, but also doing it with the security of a full-time job or within the security of a full-time job. Although it still sounds like you have to perform bloody well to be as good, as consistent, and as creative as Angela has been, or is. (laughs) Anyway, I've got links to where you can find Angela in the show notes in today's episode. They are at photobizx.com forward slash 418. Now, in the show notes, I've got examples of her amazing work, but please go and check out her website because you'll see so much more of her incredible work, and you'll find that at AngelaPercival.com. Now, in those show notes, I've also got a comments area at the very bottom, but I'll be adding Angela into the members' Facebook group. So if you do have any follow-up questions for her, you can hit her up in the Facebook group for members. Alrighty, I really do have to wrap this up. I've got cleaners looking in the door, tapping their watch. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock on the dot. They want me out of here to clean this room. So I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go and find a a coffee shop or a library or something to finish editing this audio and then get it out to you as quick as I can. Then I'm going to jump in the car, head back for the four-hour drive to Linda and the boys on the Central Coast. I hope you have a fantastic week. I look forward to bringing another interview to you next week. Until then, stay safe and well, be good, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. If you have enjoyed this episode, head to photobizx.com. Join the conversation, leave a comment, and share your thoughts on the interview with Andrew and today's special guest. 